Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Friday. Boy, do we have a good show for you today. Coming up, former Hollywood star Kirk Cameron on his new plan to fight back against the censoring of conservatives in America, including himself. He is taking it on in a potential major legal battle, so we'll get into all of it with him when he joins us. But first, corporate media silence on The New York Post's reporting yesterday regarding Dr. Gal Luft, a potential witness on Biden family corruption. I mean, when I say silence, I mean absolute silence. They won't cover this story. Uh, Dr. Luft released a video making pretty damning allegations against President Biden and his son, Hunter. And yet in the media, crickets. The reporter who broke the story, Miranda Devine of The New York Post, joins me now. Miranda, thank you so much for being here and for all of your great reporting on this. Can we just start with that? How stunning. We did a search today just to see who covered it. We, we came up with The New York Sun and an outlet called K News, and we covered it yesterday. I mean, but absolutely no one in the mainstream went with the story. Hi, Megan. No, that's sort of par for the course, isn't it, when it comes to this Biden story? And there's really no excuse on this um, because the video is out there for everyone to see. Um, and uh, Gal Luft was a well-known staple of the think tank world in Washington, D.C. for a decade. Um, he had on his think tank such luminaries as... Um, former CIA director James Woolsey, former NSA director uh, Robert McFarlane. So uh, it's not hard to check out that he was at one point anyway a legitimate guy. Um, I don't understand really how long the uh, rest of the media can keep covering for the Bidens because I, I think the avalanche of information coming from uh, whistleblowers is going to become impossible for them to ignore forever. We looked just to see in his past, uh, in the not too distant past, he appeared um, or was cited by NBC, NPR, Newsweek. I could go on. He's been treated as a credible authority by these mainstream news organizations in the past. But now that he's alleging he can testify to corruption by Joe and Hunter Biden and can provide the specifics on it and had a meeting with six officials from the FBI and DOJ in Cyprus in 2019, it t- completely ignoring. Not, and, and it's not just, I know they hate the post, but as you point out, the guy's on videotape. That was what was so extraordinary about your report yesterday. Yes, you wrote it up, but you had the link. I watched it myself. He's on camera detailing the whole thing. And it's one thing that you can cover it skeptically. Maybe you say, I don't know what I question the motives. Fine. Nothing. They, they're not interested. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And look, you have to, and and I did up front say this man is a fugitive. He's on the run. He filmed that video in some undisclosed location because he skipped bail in Cyprus. Um, And now his explanation for that is that um, he says that he was only charged with you know, gun running charges, which he says are ridiculous and he's innocent of, uh, and FARA violations, you know, being a foreign agent uh, violations. Um, he says he was only charged 
to keep him quiet. And it is true, uh, I have confirmed with James Comer, the head of the Oversight Committee, that um, they were talking to Gal Luft, the Israeli professor, and before before he was arrested, uh, sorry, after he was arrested, before he skipped bail, and wanted to him to be a witness. And James Comer also told me this week they would still like him to be a witness if they can figure out some way of doing that. Um, so... His story seems to check out in all sorts of ways. And as you said, he's already given his allegations to the government in March of 2019. Um, They flew four FBI agents and two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York to Brussels to meet with him for two days for something like 14 hours um, to get his information. So obviously they thought he was a credible witness then. Uh, They must have treated him seriously to spend so much time and so much money on uh, that episode. And yet um, they never seem to follow up on it. They never seem to investigate it. Um, his his information was buried. Um, they didn't interview, uh, for instance, he mentioned Rob Walker, who was a Biden family associate, that he said all the money from this Chinese company was being funneled through. Well, uh, it took the FBI 21 months to actually interview Rob Walker and only because they'd been told by multiple other sources that uh, Rob Walker was the guy who uh, the Chinese were paying and who was then funneling dribs and drabs to at least three family members. We know about a million dollars came to the Biden family that way uh, because James Comer now has the bank accounts and the bank statements, and he's made them public. Is it possible, because this was Trump's DOJ that went out to Brussels and met with him in March of 19, is it possible they met with him and said, this guy's full of it? You know, they did check it out internally that, you know, we would know nothing about and said, we don't believe him. Let's move on. And we actually might think he's a criminal. Let's pursue that. And then he got arrested, you know, this past spring. And the reason they didn't follow up on the allegations about Hunter and Joe is that to the extent they kicked those tires, they deflated quickly. Yes, and that's uh, certainly something I always keep in mind uh, with all of this. You, you know, you can go the conspiracy route or you can try and say, well, let's look at this as if uh, there's no corruption inside the DOJ and the FBI maybe uh, they did track down everything and they found that there was nothing to it. Um, Unfortunately, the pattern that we saw with Gal Luft has been repeated across about five different um, sources, whistleblowers or whatever you want to call them, witnesses, who have told the DOJ, the FBI, the authorities about um, allegations, about evidence to do with bribery of the Biden family by um, multiple different countries. So Gal Luft is talking about China. Um, we have others who have talked about Ukraine, um, uh, including Bud Cummins, who's the uh, was the U.S. Attorney for Arkansas, um, and and he was no longer he was in private practice when someone came to him with some allegations about money going to the Bidens that was a, for a bribe for a quid pro quo from Ukraine. He brought that again to Jeffrey Berman, the U.S. Attorney uh, for the Southern District of New York at that time, and um, it, nothing. He says that that was never investigated. He was never followed up. But what he did find a couple of years later when he was informed by Apple was that uh, the FBI had um, gone after his cloud, had had uh, surveillance warrant. They were spying on all his text messages and emails. 
Um, and, you know, that's a pattern we saw also with Rudy Giuliani. Um, unbeknownst to Rudy Giuliani, he also was being spied on by the FBI um, from pretty much the moment that he became Donald Trump's personal attorney um, right through to the election. And during 2020, when he received um, the information from the laptop repair shop owner that he had the laptop and that it had a whole lot of incriminating material on there, especially about Ukraine. Um, and uh, it, the FBI had full access to that email from John Paul MacIsaac to Rudy Giuliani because yeah, they were spying on his cloud. And the FBI also would have had access to my communications with Rudy Giuliani during that period, um, which... Uh, you know, would have led anyone to to see them, to to know that the New York Post um, was going to publish imminently. Um, and, you know, I mean, how long, how far do you want to go? You could even say, well, the FBI had had the laptop since December 2019 and they went to the social media companies and pre-bunked our story uh, saying that, it, you know, expect a, a Russian disinformation hack and dump um, before, you know, in October, before the election, probably to do with, Hunter Biden. So all this whole pattern, Tony Bobolinsky, um, the Ukraine witness uh, that, that you know, is the subject of that uh, FD 1023 form um, right. that, that James Comer managed. To keep from Congress. That's right. So, you know, Gal Luft is one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You could maybe dismiss him, say he's just a fugitive. Um, but he, what, what happened to him uh, has happened to at least five other, well, four or five other people. Mm, it's, it's so disturbing when you lay it out the way you just did. And and let's not forget the meeting with with Gal Luft happened in March of 19. It was December of 19, as you point out, that they did have the laptop. And so, and we know that they buried that. So it's like, yeah, the, even if they thought Gal Luft may not have been telling the truth or had an ax to grind, yeah. more and more confirm, confirming allegations in the lane of corruption, at least, came in. And we've yet to be given a full explanation for what they did with it. In fact, now we fast forward to today and he gets this sweetheart plea deal that brushes off the tax charges and the gun charges. And there's nothing on corruption. And while they gave him a fig leaf of, well, the investigation's ongoing, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, David Weiss, it's ongoing, which allows Hunter to not uh, give testimony before Congress. He can just plead the fifth because he can say, oh, you know, there's a criminal case ongoing against me. I can't I don't have to speak to any of this. Um, do we really believe it's ongoing? Do we really believe David Weiss or anybody else is actually in investigating Hunter slash Joe corruption other than House Oversight Committee? I, I don't think that they are investigating Hunter. There may be other um, family members, other um, aspects of the investigation that are ongoing, um, but you can't have much faith in anything that happens um, under Weiss's direction because of uh, what we heard from not one but two IRS whistleblowers um, about the slow walking, about the obstruction from the Department of Justice, about the mixed messages that came from Weiss and the Attorney General about uh, whether or not Weiss had full authority. Actually, they didn't call it full. They had an interesting uh, word for it. Ultimate. I think it was... Ultimate. ultimate authority, which is, you know, subtly different if you're a lawyer from full or complete authority. Ultimate authority means, you know, after a whole lot of steps are taken, then at the end of those steps, you have authority. Um, and obviously, uh, those steps were not taken for those most serious 
um, charges or those most serious allegations um, to do with the uh, Ukraine um, payments, uh, anything to do with um, FARA violations, sort of Hunter or his other family members acting as foreign agents, um, or um, other corruption issues that traced all the way to Joe Biden, uh, such as who is the big guy, um, all of those were involved in in a lot of the early charges. And as the IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, who was the supervising agent for um, this tax investigation in Delaware under Weiss, as he testified, um, once they were not able to charge um, those offences in Washington, D.C., um, and also in the the Central District of California, because the U.S. attorneys there, appointed by Joe Biden, uh, refused to allow them. Once those charges were off the table, all you had left with was a couple of little misdemeanors, um, and that's exactly how it panned out. And uh, I, I, I just think that Weiss, um, who now is, you know, refusing to uh, go in and, and talk to um, the Oversight Committee or any of the other Republican-controlled committees in the House. Um, he he has given multiple stories that don't add up. He's told his staff one thing, the investigative team, um, that he did have authority, but then he had to go and ask the um, Attorney General for more authority and was knocked back. And then Merrick Garland under oath says, no, that's not true. He has, he had ultimate authority. Someone is lying in all of this. And um, it just, you know, it comes back to really Joe Biden and what Gal Luft, um, one of the reasons that I believed what Gal Luft was telling me um, was not only did he provide documents that showed that, um, you know, that Brussels meeting with the six uh, FDOJ officials did occur because he gave me a letter that Jeffrey Berman, who was then the US attorney for the Southern District, um, had given him. Um, and he gave me emails between his lawyer and um, the uh, then acting um uh, Deputy Attorney General Richard Donoghue, when he went back, sent his lawyer back in October of 2020 to reiterate those allegations. Um, also, Gal Luff told me information that I didn't publish at the time when I first started talking to him uh, a month or so ago because I thought it's too explosive and I can't corroborate it. He told me that Joe Biden had met with these Chinese um, officials from this Chinese energy company um, in a hotel in Washington, D.C. And I thought, well, I, I just can't publish that. And then when Gary Shapley, uh, the IRS whistleblower, testified, one of the exhibits that he produced was an FBI interview transcript with Rob Walker, uh, you know, the bag man, the guy who was funneling the money from the Chinese to the Biden family. And Rob Walker said, yes, there had been a meeting at the Four Seasons in Washington, D.C. with Joe Biden uh, once he was out of office after he finished being vice president around late 2016, early 2017 uh, with those Chinese. And Rob Walker was at the meeting. So was Hunter Biden. Uh, and Joe Biden popped in uh, to meet those the Chinese that had paid the Bidens millions of dollars. So, um, you know, his story is checked out every which way, Gal Luft. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether the allegations that he gave uh, to the DOJ about the bribery, um, you know, I don't know if he had, 
you know, some other way of corroborating it. He also said there was a Hunter Biden had a mole in the FBI, <laughs> nickname One Eye. Um, it's amazing. You know, it just it's I want to talk so about that. Let, let, let's I table that for one second, because yeah. I do want to talk about One Eye. But right. So we don't know whether these allegations that Galloft is making are true, but at pieces of his story have been checking out to for, for yeah. sure, as you point out, not just you know, some random witness saying, yeah, gal's a truth teller, but actual documents, correspondence with yeah. the FBI and the DOJ that's been submitted in congressional testimony and elsewhere. You tweeted out that letter uh, that he received from the DOJ confirming this meeting that they had in Brussels on March 25, 2019. People can look at it right now if they just follow your Twitter. And what's interesting about that letter is they, the DOJ is saying to his lawyer, to gal's lawyer, we will not arrest your client when we see him in Brussels. We we are assuring you we will not arrest him. So to me, it seemed like Gal's troubles with our DOJ predated that moment. He was saying he reached out to our DOJ slash FBI to say, hey, I've got information for you on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden in 2019. But it se- this makes it sound like he'd had prior dealings with them that p- suggested he was in trouble. You know, my, I, A, do you know about that? And B, my second thought was even if he were in trouble, People who are in trouble in the criminal lane often just trade information to, mm. you know, work with the DOJ to get a lesser sentence to become something more like, a, you know, like a whistleblower as opposed to a defendant. It doesn't mean what they're giving the FBI is untrue. That's the FBI's job to figure out. But was there a threat of arrest or him being arrested as an arms dealer? Do you know, prior to that March of 19 meeting? Yeah, not not the arms dealing, but um, so the FBI mole I just mentioned, one eye had um, was giving classified information according to Gal Luft um, via Hunter to these Chinese from CFC, and uh, at one point um, the information they they were tipped off to was that the FBI um, was investigating them, and the information they got from uh, that investigation was that there were two Chinese under investigation and a Jewish person and someone else. And so mm. Gal Luft, because he was in business with the same Chinese people that mm. uh, Hunter and, and Jim were getting all this money from, uh, Gal Luft used to run these um, energy forums, um, and I guess they were lucrative, um, around the world with uh, Patrick Ho, who was one of the CFC C people. Um, and... Uh, Patrick Ho did end up getting arrested. Uh, the other guy, Chairman Jing Ming, uh, managed to escape the country um, after the tip-off. Um, he ended up being arrested on different matter in China. But uh, anyway, the FBI tip-off helped the chairman to escape, but Patrick Ho um, came back to the country, was immediately arrested. Gal Luft, uh, I think after that, was concerned that he might be the next on the chopping block. So he thought, well, I will contact the FBI. I think he did it. He, he waited until uh, Patrick Ho was um, convicted and sentenced to, I think, three years in jail. He's since been ex- uh, deported back to Hong Kong. Um, and after Patrick Ho was jailed, um, that was when, I guess, Gal Luff thought, well, I'll contact the DOJ, tell them everything I know, and so that they know that I'm on the up and up. Um, Patrick Ho was uh, convicted of bri- uh, bribing some UN officials, kind of separate from the Bidens. Um, and during Patrick Ho's trial, uh, he um, 
he was told by prosecutors that he was not allowed to mention uh, the Biden name or any of these high officials that CEFC had been paying in Washington, D.C. And the judge agreed to that. And um, what Gal Luft says is that the reason he felt he had to skip bail is because the same thing would happen to him, that um, if he wouldn't get a fair trial in the Southern District of New York, um, because he would not be able to mention the Biden name. So that's his story. I mean, you know, every person. Well, it's a like pattern, Miranda. It's a, it's a pattern because yeah. we now know from the IRS whistleblowers, Gary Shapley and the other unnamed yeah. one, that the attorney general, that the, the DOJ was saying in their investigation, no, Joe Biden. No, we're not. We're not investigating Joe Biden and shutting them down whenever they went down a Joe Biden lane. Um, and never mind a Joe Biden grandchild. It was only Hunter. Yeah. And they didn't seem particularly interested in actually getting to the bottom of Hunter's dealings either. But certainly there have been roadblocks keeping all these investigators away from Joe. Yeah, I, I mean, the pattern has been repeated so many times. It's, uh, you know, it's almost a joke now. It, Tony Bobulinski, one of Hunter Biden's former business partners, came forward to the FBI just before the 2020 election, after our story came out, um, he handed over all his devices uh, with documents and emails and encrypted messages, um, much of which um, overlapped with what was on the laptop, uh, but a lot of it new and different, like the WhatsApp messages. Um, and his material was uh, just buried. He was never contacted again. Um, his lawyer actually contacted the grand jury in Delaware that uh, David Weiss was overseeing and offered for him to testify, and he never heard back. They didn't want to hear from him. He had met with Joe Biden twice. Uh, Joe Biden was vetting him to be the CEO of uh, this joint venture with this company, CEFC. Um, and uh, that was after Joe Biden um, stepped down as vice president, I have to say. But um, uh, the work that the Biden family had been doing for CFC around the world, opening doors and using the Biden name to extend the Belt and Road Initiative, um, that had been going on during the last two years of Joe Biden's vice presidency. Uh, it's just that the money was slated to be paid, according to Tony Bobulinski, after Joe Biden was no longer vice president. And what about that? Is it what is the significance if Joe Biden, Jim Biden, Hunter Biden had a deal with this CEFC, this Chinese energy company, very, very closely linked to the Chinese government, um, that if he had a deal as a private citizen to take money from them in order to try to use the Biden name to open doors for them, would that have been relevant if Joe Biden had not run for and become president after that? I guess not. Um, you know, I mean, I guess a private citizen. But the the real problem with this is that uh, Joe Biden was involved in the influence peddling scheme before that. He was facilitating it. Um, this was something that he'd been used to doing for five decades, you know, uh, since his earliest days as a senator in Delaware, um, getting favours from donors, um, uh, you know, in in return for favourable legislation to them. The credit card company MBNA comes to mind. Um, and 
this. It's just that when he was vice president, he internationalized it and he used his son Hunter as the bagman for the family. And Hunter Biden complains about that bitterly uh, in all sorts of missives on the laptop about how he has to support the extended family and, uh, you know, I have to give half my money to to dad, to pop, um, he says to one of his children, uh, you should be feel lucky that I don't make you do that. Um, so, uh, you know, that's not really evidence, but it does create the narrative. And the evidence is that Joe Biden did meet with at least a dozen of Hunter Biden's overseas business partners. Um, and Joe Biden told the American people before the election that he knew nothing about Hunter's overseas business dealings. So um, that just doesn't square with the evidence that he invited them to his vice presidential residence, that he flew Hunter on Air Force Two to Beijing where he met with uh you know, the great and the powerful and uh, and where Joe Biden met Hunter's business, Chinese business partner, who um, a few days after they flew out of Beijing, um, signed up Hunter for 10% of a stake in a big equity firm, um, which had, I think, two, either two and a half or one and a half billion dollars under funds under management uh, in 2019. So uh, everywhere that Joe went, Hunter was following along, making money. Uh, Joe Biden was, you know, the point man for the administration in Ukraine, the most powerful man in the world in Ukraine. And Hunter Biden was making $83,000 a month from a corrupt energy company um, called Burisma. And Joe Biden met with, had dinner with a Burisma executive when he was vice president at Cafe Milano in Georgetown. Um, that was our very first story. Um, that we published from the laptop before the 2020 election that got censored. Now, we didn't have the details of Cafe Milano, but we had an email from that Burisma executive from Ukraine thanking Hunter for introducing him to his father the previous night. Um, and, you know, it was only um, there was denials from the Biden campaign, but six months or eight months later when we uncovered the fact of the the Cafe Milano, that it was a dinner that Joe Biden attended, that Hunter's business partners, not just from Ukraine, but from Kazakhstan and Russia were also there, um, that the White House admitted not to us because they won't, but admitted to the Washington Post fact checker who was trying to prove my story wrong. Uh, the, the White House admitted, yes, Joe Biden did go to that dinner, but he didn't go for any nefarious purpose and uh, he was only there a short time. But, you know, it's like being a little bit pregnant, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, Miranda, it's just now dawning on me. I mean, forgive me. It's just now dawning on me what you just said, that all along I thought it was corrupt, hot mess Hunter exploiting the dad's name and kind of, you know, bringing Joe in on a deal here or there to pay some bills. But that this was a Hunter operation. It's just now dawning on me that, no, this was a Joe Biden operation using Hunter. It's the other way around. It, yes. And so I, I think I do feel a lot of sympathy for Hunter. I mean, he, he you know, his life is a mess. Uh, he was a crack addict. I hope, you know, his recovery is going well. Um, but I, I do feel sorry for him. He had great tragedies in his early life. He lost his mother when he was two years old. He was badly injured with his older brother, Bo, in that yeah, car accident. Um, and uh and, you know, 
Joe Biden has had this image that he's carefully cultivated for many decades of being such a good father and family man and, uh, and, and a man full of empathy because of the grief, genuine grief he himself has suffered losing his wife and his baby daughter in that car accident. But I also look at the photos uh, from his swearing in. Um, he he didn't have to go into the hospital room where his little bandaged boys were lying and have them in the foreground of these photos as he was being sworn in. He could have done it out in the corridor. Um, but no, uh, that, you know, no American could fail to be moved and um, feel, you know, weepy when you see that photo of those little motherless boys um, lying in the hospital bed with their father behind them with his hand up swearing an oath. Um, but it's a very cynical photograph and Joe Biden used it in every campaign since and he's traded off that tragedy uh, in his career to, you know, a rather a lacklustre intellect um, to rise to great heights and the sympathy that that, that tragedy elicited and, of course, then compounded by the fact that, um, you know, the favoured son, Bo Biden, uh, died tragically of a brain tumour sometime later and he was really Joe Biden's, um, you know, golden child. The uh, He was supposed to be president. Uh, that was the dynasty that Joe Biden, I think, is cares about more than anything else, is creating a Kennedy-like dynasty. He even has a sort of Kennedy-like compound in Delaware. Um, where the, where he sort of plots his presidential runs. Um, so uh, there has been tragedy in the family, but I don't see a lot of empathy really in Joe Biden because um, he he's exploited his son. I, I mean, that seems a very harsh thing to say, but it's what I've observed. And, um, you know, for instance, Hunter Biden did have an addiction problem. Um, that, you know, you could expect maybe from someone who suffered early childhood trauma, and so what kind of a father puts his addicted son in front of gushing torrents of unaccountable cash, which is exactly what was happening from Ukraine, from China, etc. You would keep your addicted son away from that if you really cared about them. Oh, my gosh, these are amazing points. This is giving me just a whole new lens through which to see this entire story. And this is exactly contrary to the way the media portrays him and he portrays himself, as you're pointing out. I'm thinking now even about Bo Biden and how when Joe Biden was thinking about running for president, he said yeah. Bo Biden, you know, wanted him to do it, you know, like a deathbed wish. And now that he is president and he refers to his son who has passed, he says that Bo died in Iraq trying to ratchet up the sympathy, I guess we're supposed to feel. But <clears throat> of course, Bo Biden did not die in Iraq. He died from a brain tumor that may have been linked to some of the things that he was exposed to in Iraq. We don't know. But it's just these little manipulations that tug at your heartstrings that are actually incredibly cynical and not not a lovely example of a loving father. And, you know, we could talk about the the unacknowledged granddaughter now. And, you know, while still the team around him meets and strategizes over how to keep that out of the news and to dodge reporters questions. I mean, you know, you can just see the whole thing coming yeah. together. It's it's dark. Um, Miranda, can you stick stick around? There's a lot. We didn't get to the one eye. Um, I want to sure. talk about Abby Lowell's letter defending the, that's Hunter's lawyer. He's now attacking the whistleblower and and the whistleblower's lawyers fighting back. And now Hunter's team is raising new doubts again 
about the laptop as not legit. That's your story. So stand by. We're going to come back with Miranda. What a day. Isn't this unbelievable? This is riveting. She's riveting. She's got so much information. And like, unlike a lot of us, she remembers it. She delivers it linearly. I love Miranda Devine. Uh, Okay, we'll be right back with her. Miranda, let's talk just a little bit more about um, Gal Luft, because one of the things that he revealed and you revealed in your reporting was an allegation that when he met with the FBI and the DOJ in March of 19 in Brussels, he revealed to them some of what you and I just discussed, specifically that the Bidens had a mole inside the FBI who was funneling them information uh, that might be relevant to their friends in China at the CEFC, that Hunter Biden passed that information along (laughs) to these friends at the CEFC. And as you pointed out, it led one to flee uh, the country and another one tried, but he got caught and he was tried and found guilty over here in America. Um, that alleged mole, according to Luft, was named One Eye. <laughs> and that's the person who is tipping off these Chinese associates. Now, that has led to a lot of speculation that it's Louis Free, who used to be the FBI director. And thanks to an accident he had, only has one eye. However, he left the FBI as director in 2001. He was there under Bill Clinton. So he's no longer in the FBI, though obviously has connections. So what do we know about this one eye? And we also know Louis Free is close with the Bidens, which is another reason why people started thinking about him. But, you know, what do we know about his connection, if any, to all of this? Look, yes. um, And and I I think Gal Luft uh, certainly thinks it's him. Um, But that doesn't mean that it is. And, you know, I want to be careful and not um, traduce uh, anybody by name. Um, uh, I, I, I think Gal Luft has been told something by his Chinese business partners who also are in, uh, giving money to the Bidens and are close to Hunter Biden. Um, it is possible that Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden certainly must have had a mole in the FBI somehow because that information um, was true that the FBI was investigating Patrick Ho and and the rest of the CEFC crowd, um, and they were shortly, um, you know, arrested. Patrick Ho was arrested, so seems that that tip off was accurate. But whether or not it was uh, actually, you know, L- Louis Free or someone with one eye, we don't know because Hunter Biden does tell um, a lot of different stories to different people and. Um, it could have been that, um, and, and also we know that um, there were other FBI, there are other FBI names that are on the laptop. There were other FBI, including uh, a, a corrupt, um, someone who, Charles McGonigal, who's been charged with corruption, who was the head of the New York um, counter intel office of the FBI at one point. Um, so we know that Hunter had some dealings with him as well. So there are a number of different suspects and it would be probably smart of Hunter to throw the trail off, to tell the Chinese that, yes, Louis Free is my mole because Louis Free quite legitimately in his business was uh, ha- did come in on a Romanian uh, deal that they were doing. He was brought in to try and help, um, you know, with his lobbying firm, try and uh, help get, 
get a, a an oligarch who was paying Hunter millions of dollars, um, get him off some charge, uh, some corruption charge in Romania. So um, it would sort of make sense that the Chinese might have thought, oh, well, that must be the mole because he was an FBI director and, and uh you know, he they nicknamed him One Eye because he has one eye. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily follow from that that um, One Eye really was the FBI mm. mole. Um, mm, and important. so I think we just need to be careful about that. And uh, it's obviously, their speculation. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, my and, and is I plan, me, it's, it's I possible Louis talk. Free has two eyes. It's just that he has suffered an injury that makes it look. Like he only has one. Yes, we'll put a picture that's up. right. So in any event, yeah. so we don't know. That's that's important. And we've been careful not to impugn Louis Free either. But um, that's the speculation that's gone rampant online in the wake of this guy coming forward, Gal Luft, and, and offering his testimonial. So good to know. Um, uh, let's shift gears a little bit into the IRS investigation into Hunter, because when it landed with a whimper, we had these two IRS whistleblowers come forward to say this whole thing is BS. The fix is in. We were stopped by the DOJ from doing a real investigation. This guy, David Weiss, who's the U.S. attorney for Delaware, was stopped from bringing more severe charges in California and in D.C. And he told us at the time that he was being stopped and that um, he was the DOJ wasn't being that cooperative, even though now David Weiss and Merrick Garland are on the same page saying, oh, no, I have ultimate authority. And, you know, I if I need more, I can always go to America, Ireland. It's a, it's a lot of lawyer legalese language. If you read what they're saying, it seems to leave open a lot of questions which they're refusing to answer. As you point out, David Weiss just blew off the House Oversight Committee on a deadline last night to provide documents and other materials that might answer some of the questions left by this weird exchange between Merrick Garland and David Weiss. So they're just blowing off House Oversight now again, saying, the investigation's still open and we have a criminal case pending against Hunter. You know, the plea deal's not final. So it's very convenient for those that we want answers from. But I want to get to what's happening with Hunter's lawyer. He hired Abby Lowell, who's a big swinging, you know, D.C. type lawyer. Mm -hmm. And Abby Lowell is going after these whistleblowers, Shapley in particular, but hard saying these are partisan hacks, basically. I, the reporting I've read suggests they're Democrats, but he um, he's saying that they've been out to thwart this investigation and unfairly target Hunter from the beginning, suggesting that they actually leaked confidential taxpayer information about Hunter to The Washington Post months ago, which would have been a violation of federal law and some other mud that Abby Lowell is trying to swing on Hunter's behalf. The whistleblower comes out. I reported this yesterday. And, and I mean, we brought it to our audience yesterday. Others reported it. Um, saying I will. I, I here's my sworn testimony saying none of that is true. I have never met these reporters or anybody at The Washington Post. I've never leaked. I, I'll do, do. I'll say to anybody, I release any reporter I've ever spoken to at The Washington Post or elsewhere for, uh, from any obligation to hold me confidential as their source. Come on out. Admit it's me if it was me. And nothing, nothing has been said by The Washington Post. And uh, so like they're, they're going on offense now. And Hunter's, I'm sorry. Um, and now the whistleblower's lawyer has come out complaining today that these Washington Post reporters are remaining awfully silent, leading him to believe that they know it's not the whistleblower who leaked to them. It may have been somebody like the prosecutors themselves. It may have been Hunter's lawyers 
who leaked some of this information so that they could dirty up the IRS agents investigating him. It gets very convoluted. But what's happening here? Yes. And look, I'm really glad that Gary Shapley's lawyers have done the forensic on that Washington Post article and highlighted um, the lines in there that, um, you know, journalists know the code. It's, you know, it's it's not law enforcement sources or um or, you know, sources inside the investigation. It's sources familiar with, which is always code for um, one step removed. And, you know, when I first read that Washington Post story with the quite heavy-duty leaks from that investigation, which up until then had been rock-solid and tight, um, no leaks, um, my first instinct was, oh, that's come from Hunter Biden's lawyers. Um, They're trying to do a kind of a limited hangout um, and put pressure on the investigators. And that's exactly what did happen internally. And um, so the ruse worked, if that was the case. Can I say this, Can I just say this? If that's what actually happened, then the Washington Post, in my view, did something very unethical. Because if, if a source came to me with information, let's say it was a defense attorney for Hunter Biden, saying, let me give you all this information about what's happening in the tax investigation into him. And I said, great. And I and I reported it. And then the source wanted his uh, his as the actual Hunter Biden lawyer quote to me, Megan Kelly, on the record to be, I decry these leaks. This is outrageous. What's being done to my client. I would not allow that. I would not I would not knowingly dupe my audience in that way. And I think any other solid reporter would refuse to do that. You'd have to say you're going to have to think of another quote if you want to get into this piece on the record. That's not going to fly. So if The Washington Post did that, they did something unethical. Yes. And when you look at the um, Washington Post coverage of the Abby Lowell letter, um, it's a different reporter from the one who uh, published the leak um, many months earlier. And uh, and and also they just very carefully quote Abby Lowell and Abby Lowell is the one, Hunter's lawyer, very expensive lawyer, who is making those allegations. And um, Abby Lowell wasn't actually Hunter Biden's lawyer at the time of the leaks, I don't think. So yeah. it, it could He's just trying to dirty up these else. whistleblowers so that we don't listen to them. He's trying to dirty uh, them up as scumbags. 100%. And there's he's got what, no evidence to that effect. No. And, and what whistleblower, um, you know, if... If Shapley had been the leaker, he certainly wouldn't sign a sworn statement and say that he wasn't the leaker and make this. No, that into turns it into a, a felony. Issue. Yes. <laughs> that, that takes a that takes a leak and makes it into a felony, which he doesn't need right now. All right, so that's that's what's happening there. Um, let's talk for a minute about the cocaine White House. You know, cocaine bear. This is cocaine <laughs> White House. Um, the, for that now they've changed the location of the cocaine. Yet again, now it's yeah. a brand new location where it was originally in some public area or it was a library and it was a West Wing cubby. And now they're saying it was closer to the situation room. But once again, cautioning everybody, oh, it may be impossible. It may just be impossible to ever find anybody. Yeah. Um, what what do you make of what's happening with Cocaine White House? Well, another cover up. Of course, it's not impossible. This is the most secured location in the entire country. They've got cameras everywhere. They've got secret service everywhere. They know what's going on. They, the only people allowed into that area, uh, uh, they know every detail about them. They have to be 
pre-vetted and signed in, their staffers, their, uh, you know, people from agencies with security clearances. So there's just no way. And um, the way the story has changed, um, the, the paucity of information, um, and then this sort of, I don't know, like setting us up to not expect an answer, to try and lower expectations of uh, knowing eventually who the culprit is. And the other interesting thing I thought yesterday was when they changed the location for the third time um, to the outside the situation room, they said it was uh, CBS actually reported this, that um, to describe the location, um, it's just near the entrance to the parking lot where, say, they the vice president parks her car. So that, of course, leads to another, <laughs> you know, flight of, uh, of fancy about Kamala Harris and why she laughs so much uproariously. Maybe, you know, she's she's chemically assisted in some way. I mean, I'm being Maybe obviously facetious. Maybe that speeches. <laughs> well, I mean. There's a new it's, twist. It, she does seem high all the time when she's speaking <laughs> gibberish. So, um, but you know, maybe that's just a misdirection by the White House to throw Kamala under the bus um, because she's yeah. in the way of Gavin Newsom. Who knows? I mean, there's right. that is a White House that there's it's a nest of vipers and um, there's uh, Machiavellian goings on around every corner. So I think you can never take anything at face value. Well, here's what's crazy. There's this thing called a Hatch Act, which doesn't have any sort of criminal penalties yeah. or really enforcement mechanisms, but um, it doesn't allow the White House as the White House to get involved in campaign politics. And um, that's good. But it doesn't excuse the White House from answering questions about cocaine White House. And yet <laughs> they try to rely on that. We only have the audio tape of it. But here's the deputy press secretary on audio, Andrew Bates, trying to invoke the Hatch Act yesterday as a reason why he couldn't get into cocaine White House. Listen. Former President Trump has made some pretty wild posts uh, recently on social media. Uh, one of them was that uh, the cocaine found in the White House was had belonged to either the president or his son. Are you willing to say that that's not the case, that they don't belong to them? I, I don't have uh, a response to that because we have to be careful about the Hatch Act. <laughs> OK, because Trump said it. You can't respond to whether it's true because of the Hatch Act. Nice try. Yeah, that was a really curious answer. And what it tells me is they would have workshopped it beforehand. They don't know if it's hunters or not. So uh, I guess they don't want to be caught out lying if, if it somehow does come out. And so what's likely to happen here, Miranda? What's likely to happen with all of this? Cocaine White House, and, but more importantly, the blackout on what we're now hearing and in your reporting and from this guy, Luck? Look, I think that the avalanche of evidence uh, against um, particularly Joe Biden is going to become politically unpalatable uh, at some point and he will uh, end up uh, sort of escaping and uh, maybe um, nothing will ever happen. Wow, really? I thought that was going to end a different way. I, I don't know. I feel like if this keeps going... That this may be the excuse the Democrats need to push him out, you know, to get. Well, yes, push him out. But but he'll never face um, accountability for oh, any no. of the bribery or the cover up. Um, and that will be convenient for them. They'll push him out and then he'll plead health issues and uh, and that'll be the end. But at least, you know, the truth needs to be out, even if no one pays for it. Yeah, that's right. And they'll find some way of 
getting rid of Kamala. Maybe this maybe it's right. Yeah. The cocaine was right by her parking spot is step one in the master yeah. plan. <laughs> great to see you. Thank you so much for the great reporting. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Megan. Great to talk to you. All right. When we come back, Kirk Cameron is here. Pure Talk is once again investing in their customers without charging an extra penny because Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than the half of what Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will charge you. If you bring your phone, PureTalk's eSIM technology will make switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Consider making the switch to PureTalk. Just go to puretalk.com kelly to start saving today. And when you do, you will save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com kelly to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. Well, as our culture drifts from traditional values bit by bit, we love highlighting the work of those who are fighting back and winning. That's why I'm thrilled to welcome Kirk Cameron back to the show. We had Kirk on the program in December. It was episode 454, and it was fascinating. And now he's out with a new children's book called Pride Comes Before the Fall, which he's promoting while battling with the American Library Association. (laughs) Kirk, welcome back to the show. <laughs> you, you know, um, like the cast of villains, I got to admit, I did not foresee the American Library Association being there, but they actually have been actively working against you. It's really stunning. Uh, I, I, it's, it's one thing to um, irritate, oh, 50 local woke libraries, but when you have uh, called all the way to the ALA and you've o- awakened the Balrogs deep within the, the, the institutions, then you know that you're, you're over the target. And essentially yeah. the director of the office for intellectual freedom went on a, a, a nationwide virtual video and was teaching local libraries how to violate the constitution by restricting certain people from coming in and doing story hours in their libraries based on open intolerance for their religious views. So this isn't just me. This is what, what they referred to as the Kirk Cameron event, which is a, a day in August where we're encouraging families to go to their local libraries and read books of virtue to their children. It's called see you at the library and they're teaching libraries how to block it and make up reasons why they don't have room for them. It's unbelievable. We're going to play the soundbite because it's this this person had the, the, the stupidity to put it on tape. So she's caught red handed. But before we get to that, let's let's set it up. So you've got this new book out. Pride comes before the fall. Great book. Right. Great timing in particular. It It's designed to coincide with Pride Month. And you point out correctly, hello, pride is actually a sin, not something to be celebrated for a month or a season. Well, it, 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 you're right. In fact, it's the it's the deadliest of the dev, of the seven deadly sins. Uh, I like to say that um, you know gluttony and greed is is bad, and 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 sloth, wrath, envy, 
and lust is uh, not something you want to teach your kids, but pride is the pregnant mother that gives birth to all other forms of evil. And uh, pride is ultimately about self. It separates us from other people. Pride separates us from God. And what I think we want to teach our kids is how to be humble and kind, how to put others before themselves. And that's really what the book is all about. It's not an anti-gay book. It's not an anti um, uh, LGBTQ community book. It's just saying, look, if you really want to have relationships and a world that is thriving and being blessed and protected, go with humility, not pride. It's it, it's a terrible message and it has to be stopped. I can see why the library ladies are very mad at you. <laughs> that, yeah. that cannot I, be allowed. I know. And so they're attempting to uh, keep these books out of libraries and, and falsely characterizing the book or me or or just concerned Americans who love God and love their family and their country as being bigots or being haters. But it's it's interesting. The people who are screaming the loudest uh, about book banning, like uh, the pornographic books that they're wanting to keep in the libraries and, and they don't want them banned, they're actually the same people who are the most intent on banning books. Yes. It's just the books that they don't like, books about faith, hope, and love. That's exactly right. I, I We'll talk about it in one second. I want to tell you, I've got another one for you for your second edition. You can do one on, on Envy. And uh, you could base it potentially on this story I was telling my little guy uh, about a month ago. I was talking to him in and he's like, tell me a story. So I said, okay. And you know, you just make something up on the spot. And uh, my story was about this little boy who was desperate to make the basketball team. And he knew that there were better play players on the team. And so he intentionally sabotaged them like he he threw a little like sort of uh, little pellets through their basketballs. He threw marbles on the on the basketball court so that they'd slip and fall. Mm. He undermined them. And you know what happened? He didn't make the team and it didn't work out for him. Then the next season he tried out again and he had gotten no better. He hadn't practiced. He hadn't worked on his own game, but he tried once again to hurt the other players. And once again, it didn't work out for him. So the third season he went back, he practiced, he worked hard, he supported the other players. And I said to my little Thatcher, and do you think he made the team? And Thatcher said, yes. And I said, no, he didn't, because this is a just world in which you don't get to make <laughs> up for all your past sins just by one season of being good. <laughs> you have to be good all the time. You always have to try for it. Change of heart is good, but it's not going to solve everything in your life. Envy is an evil sin too. Well, that's so great, Megan. What, what, a, what a great mom you are to be able to talk about these things with your kids. And isn't that what we want is we want open discussion. We want, we want intelligent discourse so that we can discuss things like uh, COVID protocol. What should the medical industry really be recommending for the world when it comes to something like this? Let everybody talk. Don't cancel them. Don't censor them. Don't ban books that parents want to read to their children about the history of our country and about what makes families flourish. Uh, that is exactly what we're asking for. Um, and when you have these higher up elites on the far left side who are openly censoring and encouraging libraries to break the law, you say something has gone very wrong here. And we need to get back to the values that you're talking about so that we, the people, as the sovereign of this country, can move forward in a healthy, positive direction. It's so sad when, when we're coming off a month in which we saw, I mean, truly 
I know I sound 200 when I use this word, but debauchery on the streets of America in front of children, corner by corner, shoved in our faces on the news every night. And now you come up with something that talks about a recognized sin and how to overcome it, how to reject it. It's an uplifting story. Um, It's too offensive to make the public library. And then you try to organize one day. It's August 5th in which others across the country could go into their public library and have a reading of such a book. It doesn't have to be yours. Of whatever book. And really, what could be right. any book you want. Any book of virtue. And this is what's so offended the American Libraries Association that, as you point out, the ALA director um, has decided that they need to stop you. And here's just a little bit of how she suggested it be done. Sot 7. We're seeing groups that seek seek to censor LGBTQA materials or disparage or silence LGBTQA library users, um, exploit the open nature of a public library to advance their agendas. For example, right now, um, Brave Books and Kirk Cameron are conducting a campaign to take over libraries on August 5th. The First (laughs) Amendment does not require the library to even offer meeting room spaces. So this in regard to the Kirk Cameron thing, you are not obligated to offer public meeting room spaces or invite the public in to use the library. You can have a make a priority for library sponsored programs. And what if your library decided to offer a whole host of programs in its meeting room on August 5th, making it unavailable for the public? That's uh, uh, another uh, option for you. That is what, unbelievable. What, what if what if your <laughs> library happened to have other programs making it unavailable for them to come to your library? So this is all about keeping control of the libraries in the hands of librarians. And the way you do that is by making up things that aren't there to block families from reserving a reading room for their own kids. I mean, isn't this wonderful? Megan, this is so great. She just brought up the First Amendment saying it doesn't require you to offer meeting spaces. I have a copy of the Constitution right here. The First Amendment actually says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise of that religion or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble. That's precisely what she's recommending local libraries do is block people from peacefully assembling in a public library to speak about and exercise their sincerely held values about loving God and loving their community. So this is what's so great about every piece of the First Amendment. (laughs) And what's so great about this is it it pulls back the curtain and it shows you that the great wizard that is got all these signs and wonders and powers and all these things that is scaring everybody and making them think he's so powerful is is really a group of people who are breaking their own laws. I mean, their stated purpose at the ALA is to protect the rights of all people to have access to information regardless of their views. That's what the drag queen stories are all about. Except, of course, that's precisely what they're not doing when it comes to people like you or me or millions of others who want to talk to their kids about faith, hope, and love. So my question to the ALA is, guys, why all the hate? I thought I thought this was supposed to be I thought I just learned the rule. It's about diversity. It's about equity. It's about inclusion. Why are you excluding us? Mm-hmm. And it's not just you. I was talking with a friend of mine who was saying at her local library in Connecticut, 
she went in and they had gender queer and they had the whole line of gender books that, you know, are not really appropriate for young ones, but fine. Okay. It's public library. There it is. It's up to the parents to screen there. And she asked whether they happen to carry the line of books uh, being put out now by uh, Bethany Mandel. You know, we've got a couple of these books, but they tell great stories about like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and some more right leaning leaders of the past. And the woman said no. And so she, my friend offered to donate the books. Yeah, I'll I'll get them for you. And she said, we're not interested in that line of books, right? No, we're not interested. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I think that this is a big wake up call for us. I think this is a time for us as moms and dads and grandparents and um, uh, business business people and politicians and clergy and everybody else to say, who are we as 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 citizens of the United States of America? I mean, are we going to go back to this document called the the, the Declaration of Independence? I'm sorry, the Declaration and the Constitution. Are we gonna are we gonna understand the roots that nourish the tree of liberty and produce this free? Fruit, I'm sorry, this sweet fruit of, of uh, economic opportunity and educational freedom and political and spiritual freedom and liberty? Or are we going to cut those roots off and let the tree shrivel and we're going to start eating the rotten, pithy, bitter fruit of socialism leading to uh, communism? And it's going to be an authoritarian government that leaves you with no liberty. And then then what will all these people do when they when they finally come for them last? Uh, th- there won't be any um, of these po- folks who, who think that they can just run around doing whatever they want. They're going to, at the end of the day, uh, have to submit to the leadership of someone. And I don't think that should be any narcissistic authoritarian government or dictator. I think the smartest thing to do is to say, how about the loving God who made us and gave us this beautiful earth and a country and allows us to live in freedom if we do the right thing together with one another. Well, I have a good idea for the people out there interested in helping you on this August 5th effort. Again, it could be Kirk's book. It could be any book, but you should call your local library and say you want to reserve the meeting space to discuss um, books that speak to family values, perhaps gender queer. Uh, perhaps others, you know, we'll we'll see. Then you'll get the meeting yeah. space because that's in line with her plan. Then you show up with uh, pride comes before the fall and let it rip. Yeah, th- that's that's a great idea. And and even better, if you go to bravebooks.com uh, and look for the see you at the library tab, uh, you can not only get my book for free, but We'll show you how to set up step-by-step your own story hour for your kids in your community and how to um, actually get around some of the roadblocks that your local library might be putting in front of you. And I'm going to get on a a Zoom call with everyone who's doing this. I'm going to answer your questions. And together on August 5th, we, uh, as the hobbits of the Shire of the United States of America, Mm -hmm. are going to be engaged in a battle against the orcs and we are going to win. I can't wait. So please join us. Go to bravebooks.com. Well, I confess I too was subjected to a book ban uh, in my Thatcher's third grade class. They had the parents come in and do a reading. No, it was second grade. It happened last year. Uh, Second grade class, they had the parents come in and do a reading. And um, I really wanted to read this book about gas. (laughs) 
and the teacher <laughs> wouldn't let me. <laughs> oh, no. I have the sense of humor of a nine-year-old boy. I understand what these kids would like. She shut me down cold, Kirk. <laughs> That's right. I know. That, too, is a brave book. <laughs> Few things nine-year-old boys like better than than bathroom bathroom jokes and books right? about it's gas. Gold, it's, it's absolute gold. You know, Megan. Um, you know, speaking of nine-year-olds and and kids, I I I, I went digging around uh, in in sort of the, the the time vault that I have, and I found something that I thought you might like. Last December, we talked about uh, you had a childhood crush. I, I think. Big time. I think I was part of that. I think you had something. You're the to do only with fan letter I ever wrote. You're the only fan letter the I ever fan wrote. And and I think I never wrote you back. And I just no. thought I would try to make it up for you. I think I found one remaining <laughs> Mike Seaver poster from 1986, and I signed oh. it to. I don't know if you can read it. it. Says to Megan, my biggest fan, heart, heart, Kirk Cameron. I can die now. <laughs> Look okay. at that with the suspenders and their exposed <laughs> shoulders. I would, if, that would if I can find a, if I can find your mailing address, I will wrap it up and send it to you for Christmas. <laughs> Abby, Abby, right now, have FedEx All right, it. Abby. Text it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Thank for you letting so me much. create a a fun and awkward moment like that. Um, <laughs> I was I can't I love see it. I can't see you on my screen, so I can't tell if you're blushing. But it's and it's always my go my goal is to try to make the host blush or or because uh, people are always trying to put me on, knock me off balance, right? With with mm -hmm. sort of gotcha questions. So I thought I'd I'd flip the script a little today. Uh well, no, I didn't blush, but I did smile from ear to ear, and that is going on the wall. That's going on the wall of fame, right next to my <laughs> Dennis Rodman basketball signed by Dennis Rodman with a picture of Kim. There Jong you go. <laughs> you're going to be in great company. Um, I love it. And I love everything you do. This is a great effort by you and by Brave Books. Can I just ask you a question? I'm here. I'm Abby's not actually in the room with me because she's back in Connecticut and I'm at the Jersey Shore for the summer. Do you do you are you following what's happening with the sharks? Because we get sharks here at the Jersey Shore, but not like what's happening on Long Island right now. I'm like, I I'm obsessed with this story. Have you been seeing what's happened in Long mm. Island with the I, had five I, shark attacks over the past week. You, you know, I'm I'm not up on the shark attacks. I've been I've been hearing all about you know Biden's granddaughter and De Blasio and all <laughs> sorts of other things, but I've not I've not been updated we'll on the shark story. This one's more important. All right, I got to tell you something. Here's what's happening on the shores of Long Island, not far from where I am, on the shores of New Jersey, off the coast of Long Island. This is the AP. Drones sweep over the ocean patrolling the water for any danger that might lurk below the surface as beachgoers grow more vigilant because of a recent spate of shark encounters. Over two days this week, five people reported being bitten by sharks at some of New York's most popular beaches, leading to heightened surveillance of the area's waters. And this dovetailed nicely or not so nicely with video out of Florida this week where it was in Navarre. Is it Navarre? N-A-V-A-R-R-E. My apologies to our friends down there, Florida, on Monday. Look at this, Kirk. You can see a huge shark swimming right off the beach. It's the scene out of Jaws. The kids are yelling, get out. Watch. Look, see the fins? Wow. It is like a scene of Jaws. Oh my gosh, I would need therapy. 
I, I wouldn't be dead from the shark. I would be dead from the heart attack that go? I would Where have in seeing those fins. So do you let your kids, wow. your father of, is it six? Five six. or six? six? Six. Okay. Do you let your, I know they're older now, but when they were little, did you let them swim in the ocean? Did you have any qualms? You know, what do you think? So we loved the beach. In fact, when I was a little kid, we went to the beach every weekend and would body surf with my dad and my grandpa. And when we took our kids to the beach, yeah, they were in the water all the time. So we, we didn't have any problems. It's kind of a rare occurrence actually getting bitten by a shark, but, but this is shocking. I mean, if I lived there, I, I wouldn't be sending my kids into the water now. I know. Well, everyone's fine, I think, or not fine, but like they, it wasn't like a jaws bite where they took a leg or they yeah. killed somebody. Like one, they, yeah, this yeah. article describes one guy as having his toes nibbled. I'm like, well, that makes it sound enjoyable. That's, that's certainly not how it went yeah. down. You, you, um, you know, who, it makes me think of my friend, Bethany Hamilton, who uh, she got, you know, the, the, the professional surfer who got her arm bit off by a shark. Right. So um, they made a movie about that. <laughs> so she, she's, yeah, she's, she's been there, done that. Yikes. Well, all right. I, you didn't make me feel any better. I got to be honest. I, I still don't know. I don't <laughs> go in the ocean, but my, I let my kids go in, which, what does that say about me? That's not like I'm so scared. I won't go in, but I'll let my little guys go. What's <laughs> that sick? <laughs> it's like my sister-in-law lives in Cape Cod and she lost her beach because they had serious, deadly shark attacks a couple of years ago. I mean, truly, that killed people. And if you yeah. live in Cape Cod, you wow. live there because of the ocean. I mean, that's why you're there. And now they lost yeah, sure. beach. like they can't they can't swim anymore. And it seems like bit by bit as these conservationists sort of work to get the fish population restored, the seal population restored. The sharks are coming back and, you know, mm. people are getting is that maybe? Yeah, people. right. Maybe is that's that it happening? Yeah, it, in part, that's definitely it. And now you got these conservationists celebrating that. Oh, well, look, look at all the little fish. They're back. We well, you know what those little schools of fish attract big old fish called sharks, which aren't yes, out on right. a mission to eat us. But they they're not that great to share the ocean with. I realize it's their home, not ours. But still, as a parent of young children, I I. Maybe maybe a little less conservation. We'll see. All right, let's keep going. Um, I want to talk to you about what's happening in the gender lane because it's taking over the world. Now, forgive me about, you know, you said people like to make you blush. This one may do it. But the big celebration this week was about this new line of sanitary pads, you know, pads for during a period by this new company um, called August, which is really worried about not women and their periods, but menstruators. Listen to this woman on, on Thursday's CBS This Morning, the CEO of this company. We are August, wanting a gender-inclusive name. On the back, it says we're here for everyone who menstruates. Uh -huh. And I think especially in this age of transphobia, it really means a lot to us to be proudly a gender-inclusive brand. History and society has built up this stigma that makes menstruators feel so ashamed. Yes. It makes us feel like there's something wrong with our bodies. We're taught that period blood is this contaminable, like, disgusting dirty thing. nasty dirty. yes and i think that it always breaks my heart to hear so many stories every day of young menstruators who get their period and have never heard about it <laughs> i'm sorry can you believe you know it, it really isn't funny it, it it's it's just it's so it's it's so laughable but it's it, it it's like we're, we're not being are we being punked or is this is is this an actual reality that we're moving into um calling the menstruators rather than talking about the reality of men and women it's it's crazy um this reminds me of of that trans flasher on the lawn of the white house mm. not too long ago during pride mm. month 
And uh, th th this is the kind of, of it, this is where it's heading, right? This is, this is the kind of immorality and disrespect from this group of people who think it's okay to, for, for a, a, a man to flash his, his false breath, his moves, you know, right there in front of children and say that this is the new normal for morality, that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to free body parts so that everybody can enjoy them with us. And we're going to have an entire month where people essentially are asking others to celebrate their sex life, uh, who they like to have sex with. Uh, I just think that that's, 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 that's weird and that's wrong and we shouldn't be doing that. And if you want to do it, at least keep it away from the kids. Don't no. stick it in their face. No, the kids are our target number one. I mean, we talked yesterday about how there's now this big celebration of men with their moobs trying to breastfeed upset infants who are not getting milk. And even though it may be possible with a ton of hormones and breast pumps and so on to do it, um, they're being celebrated. There was this ITV, a major broadcaster in the UK that was celebrating a man doing this as the face of womanhood. The story was about motherhood and they used a man with his moobs trying to breastfeed an infant. Then we find out this guy, uh, there are pictures of him online with nipple cl clamps on his nipples. He's got a fetish and now he's using a baby apparently <laughs> to get after it. And then we find out today, here's another man who started a GoFundMe to try to buy breast pumps to help him lactate. Forgive me, it's SOT 10. I've always wanted to be able to lactate. And today, my doctor, after my EKG results, said that she's feeling confident enough to start me on this medication, Reglin. And it has some serious side effects, but I'm only going to be taking it for two weeks, up to three weeks possible. Um, so within two weeks, I should be lactating. The rest is on me. I'm going to have to pump and keep a supply. This is the tough part. I have one pump. I need two pumps. And I'm, the, the amount of lactation, the amount of pumping that I have to do to lactate is going to require a better pump than what I got. I mean, I have electric pump, but I need the two of them. And I need them where they're more compact. And I'm going to start a GoFundMe. I need some help. I is sick. I mean, it's truly. Isn't incredible. it? Isn't it? Isn't it fun when we try to play God and, and we try to we try to uh, say, OK, let's just let's just think here. Let's deconstruct the building blocks of reality and gender and biology and essential relationships for human society. Let's mix them all up and try something new. Isn't this leading us in a in a healthy direction? Oh, oh my goodness terrifying it really is yeah. evil well and, and and the ones that i am my heart goes out for the most are yes the people who are caught up in in that kind of a of a of a confused web and they're vulnerable to that kind of things maybe because of trauma in their life and uh that's why we need to have hearts of compassion toward people. And then think of our children who are growing up and this is their normal. 
this isn't a weird and woke world that they're being introduced to contra reality. This is their reality. And that's what's so disturbing and concerning for people like us. This has happened on our watch and we're handing this down as a legacy to our children unless we reverse course. Um, Megan, I brought something with me that um, I think can help us understand what we need to get back to. Uh, one, one of my favorite heroes of history, is his name is Charles Spurgeon. He was a minister in England uh, back in the 1800s. And he said, don't waste any time trying to explain the crookedness of a stick. All you have to do is lay a straight stick beside it and the work is done. Mm. Speak the truth and error is abashed in its presence. And it's very difficult to explain to children today how crooked our society has become because it, it is their normal and they're being told that that is the plumb line for reality. What we need to do is hold the straight stick up for them as parents. And one of the things that I have championed for the last uh, 10 years is something that is a national treasure. There is a monument that our forefathers and foremothers left us the pilgrims left for us the largest granite monument in America. And it's hidden in a forest in Plymouth, Massachusetts, right off of Cape Cod. And nobody knows that it's there. And it spells out their secret sauce recipe for building a free and just society with lasting liberty for generations. And I, I made a replica of it so that I could teach it in universities to uh, elected officials in Congress, to ministers in churches and parents. Uh, I think I've got a picture here. Tell me if you see it. Uh, I gave it yeah, to your producer. I <clears throat> yeah, I see it. It's 81 feet tall, 180 tons of granite. It's the largest granite monument in America. Look how tall the people are standing in front of it. Uh, here's, a, here's a replica that I made of it that I take around the country. And... Hmm. I'm going to give you a quick uh, uh, unlocking of the, this matrix of liberty to tell you so that if we as a nation ever lose our way, our forefathers and mothers gave us the deactivation code for the woke matrix. And we can find our way back to liberty. Here, here's, here's how it works. There's five figures. One, two, three, four, five around the base. The tallest and the most important at the top her name is Faith. She's pointing to heaven. She's holding the Bible in her hands, and she's got a star on her forehead representing wisdom. They said that if you want to have liberty, you must start with faith in God and in his word, and God will give you wisdom so you can reason about how you do your society. And the first manifestation of that uh, scriptural biblical wisdom is right here, and her name is Morality. Morality is holding the Ten Commandments in her left hand and the scroll of Revelation in her right hand. But they didn't believe, Megan, that morality was an external standard imposed by a king or the government. It began with an internal transformation of the heart through the, the gospel. And I know that because under her chair on the left, it says evangelist. The gospel would be preached. A person would turn to God because they recognized God's love for them. It would change their heart on the inside and they wanted to be good. 
And then you had the external standard written in the word of God so that they never got confused about it and exchanged evil for good and good for evil. That then becomes the moral foundation for your laws. And there's the man of law, the judge, seated in the judge's chair, holding the book of law in his hand. And if you notice, the book of law in the judge's hand is directly beneath the book of law in faith's hand, indicating that God's uh, man's laws must line up under God's laws or they're not good laws. And he's balanced by justice on his right and mercy on his left, because God is both just and merciful. Once you've restrained evil in your society, now you can do the sacred duty of educating your children. You got to pass this on to the next generation. And there is a woman, notice this is not a government official, this is likely a parent, a mom, who's holding the book of knowledge in her hand, which is the ancient scriptures. She has a wreath of victory around her head, and she's training up her children in the way they should go. Right here it says youth, and on the other side is an old man named Wisdom. They believed if you trained your kids to the third and fourth generation that, that you would produce the desired result, which is not only wisdom, but liberty. And there is the liberty man seated in his chair. He's dressed in the full armor of God, faith, the, uh, the word of God, um, salvation, truth, peace, all of these things. And he's overthrown tyranny. He's free inside from the from the, the snakes in his head and the demons in his heart, all those deadly sins we talked about. And he's free externally from the power of tyrants and bad governments. And he's ready to defend everything behind him because it's precious to him. And his wife is right here on his left. And her name is Peace. And she's prospering at peace, generous to take care of not only her family, but other people who, who need her help. How many of you who are watching this think we should get back to these values in the United States of America. This is the straight stick that can show us the crookedness of a weird and woke culture that is not progressive at all. It's actually regressive going back to the way the world was uh, before these principles flourished in America. Mm, that was beautiful. Uh, after this break, we're going to talk about you and your wife as the straight stick in comparison to Mayor Bill de Blasio and his wife <laughs> and what's happening there with the, just a desecration of what's supposed to be a holy, beautiful union that, of course, is being celebrated by The New York Times and others. The one and only Kirk Cameron. He didn't wear his naked shoulders and suspenders on the program today, but he is bringing a lot of beauty to the show with his words. Stand by for more. Pure Talk is once again investing in their customers without charging an extra penny because Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right, as you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than the half of what Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile will charge you. If you bring your phone, PureTalk's eSIM technology will make switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Consider making the switch to PureTalk. Just go to puretalk.com kelly to start saving today. And when you do, you will save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com kelly to start saving on wireless at home 
and abroad. Before we get to the weird marriage of Mayor Bill de Blasio, I've got to talk to you about Hunter Biden and this love child, Navy, who he had with a a woman out of uh, wedlock. She had the baby and she has had to pursue him for four years to acknowledge his parental responsibilities just in terms of finances. You know, we've been talking a lot about the amount of money he made thanks to Ukraine connections and China connections through his dad. He apparently didn't want to use one cent of any of that to support the child that he fathered. And um, I use that term very loosely. And uh, so now he's been ordered to pay paternity for this child. He went into court to lower it from twenty thousand dollars a month. And they allowed him to do that. But he's given the mother a few paintings of his to try to sell to support this girl. Meanwhile, this daughter is four years old. She has never met Hunter Biden, her dad. She has never met Joe Biden, her grandfather, though she knows that they are her father and grandfather, respectively. The White House, while touting Joe Biden's love for his family every time we talk about the Hunter Biden drug story, um, has is under strict orders never to refer to this child and to say he only has six grandchildren, not seven. The White House staffers have reportedly been briefed on that. They're not allowed to bring her up. Hunter won't acknowledge her. What do you make of it? Wow. I I think of the character quality here that we see that's lacking, and that is honesty, transparency. We want that from our president. We want that from anyone who's representing us in powerful places. And this is a subject that I feel very personally connected to when we're talking about children that are the result of unplanned pregnancies in very difficult uh, and and perhaps embarrassing circumstances. My wife and I have six kids, as we talked about. Four of our children are adopted, and a couple of my children have had the opportunity to actually make contact with their birth parents. And this is after uh, decades. And they finally met them and found out stories. And uh, these are s- difficult circumstances and stories for them to hear. But that child is precious. That little child is my daughter, is my son. I would never deny them or act that they do, like they, they, they don't exist. In fact, I'm choosing as their dad to embrace them and all the difficult circumstances and say, uh, you know what? Your life is part of a great big story and you play a really important role in that. And God's got great plans for you. So that's what I want to see is I want to see people uh, take responsibility for not only their actions, but wrap their arms around their entire family and not push people to the margins and act like they don't exist. That's such a good point. Is it so hard that he made a mistake? You know, he obviously had unprotected sex with a, with a woman, not his wife, and a baby was produced and she chose to have it. She's here now, you know, whatever he wanted, whatever he regrets, she's here now. And th- though he may not want to go down and marry this woman, he could play an active role in this little girl's life. He could acknowledge her. He could give her some love, some visitation, some some sort of acknowledgement. But neither he nor his dad will. And I just feel sad for her. I just feel sad. She knows. She, and every time she has to hear Joe Biden talk about his six grandkids, his six grandkids, you know, it's not like most kids who's who may find themselves in this position. He's president of the United States. Right. She's got to see her grandpa and will have to for the next whatever number of years. The whole thing's just sad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, that's where faith in God is. So it's such a guiding light and such a a support and a, and a comfort. Sometimes what other people mean for evil, God can use for good. 
And sometimes he can take the things that he hates and use them to accomplish the things that he loves. And uh, I've seen that happen in my own family. And I think that it could happen and that it's never too late to decide to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it'll go a different way. Maybe God will use this little girl to accomplish something amazing because of this experience and whatever it's creating inside of her. You know, maybe it will inspire That's her right. to do something great in her life. That's what we can pray for. Um, yeah. On a separate but not totally unrelated note, we've got to talk about Bill de Blasio. So, I mean, I lived in New York for this guy's entire term as mayor, both of them, and he ruined New York. We could go down the list of the number of ways in which he ruined New York. One of the main ways was he created these weird incentives that allowed the the huge megastores to prosper, like the big CVS chains and Starbucks chains and big Citibank chains to prosper and edging out the mom and pop shops that made New York, New York, you know, the corner delis, the corner pharmacies owned by, you know, the guy whose name, you know, and the streets right. of New York changed dramatically as a result. And then that's not even to touch on the homelessness, the drugs, and then ultimately the defunding of the police and the demoralization of the police, which changed the streets of New York. So you would think that even the New York Times, which fully understands what he did to Manhattan and the five boroughs entirely, would be a little skeptical of giving this guy a fawning profile. But that's what they did, because what he was trying to say was, I have this quirky marriage and we're so cool and progressive that we want to celebrate a different way of doing marriage, which is to have an open marriage, I guess, where you're no longer faithful to one another. Nobody moves out of the marital home, but you start dating other people. The way they ended the piece was with de Blasio quoting two favorite phrases of his wife's labels, put people in boxes, and those boxes are shaped like coffins. Another one quote, I never want to be stuck. And another one prized by de Blasio's brother, who's a Tibetan Buddhist, quote, avoid attachments. Those that was written into your vows to Chelsea, was it not? Avoid attachments. <laughs> yeah. And I never want to be stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th this is where we're heading. You know, um, I, I found that in the world, there's at least two groups of people uh, when I'm looking for answers to problems. There's the reporters and there's the reformers. There are those who... Uh, sit back and sort of report and comment on all the bad things that are happening. And after a while, I stopped listening to them because I'm already on board that we've got a problem. What I'm looking for is the solution. And then I find that there are reformers who actually want to bring about change. The problem is people like this are reformers that are looking to reform things, but they don't have the right standard to reform to. So if you don't know what marriage really is, that it's this sacred, soul-fusing body um, uh, into combining into one flesh relationship that is to be honored, uh, and it's, it's excluding all others, then you're going to reform marriage in a way that actually deforms it. And that's what we've been doing. We've gotten rid of the straight stick in to reference my previous uh, metaphor with the crook and, and replaced it with a crooked stick. And now anything is acceptable. That actually means that you can't really attach truth to reality anymore. And what is false and what is uh, harmful or hurtful or is going to produce shame and guilt 
and pain is actually being championed. So um, at the end of the day, I believe that uh, we need to get back to the real definitions of sacred things like children and family and marriage and gender. And uh, I don't have to look too much further than uh, the words of an, an ancient Jewish carpenter named Jesus of Nazareth, who, when he was asked by the religious people of the day, is it okay for a man to divorce his, his wife for any reason at all? Jesus held up the, the honor of this relationship. And he said, you know, from the beginning, uh, it's been said that a man shall leave his father and his mother. Uh, he created mankind in male and female. He will join together with his wife and the two will become one flesh. And right there, we have the straight stick definition of gender, of marriage, and sexuality. And 4,000 years of Judeo-Christian ethics and definition of marriage and family has produced the very best results. If we start tinkering with that, we're going to be like the mad scientist, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, who creates a monster, and then you don't know what to do with it. And if that becomes the new normal for marriage and family, uh, we can only imagine the chaos that's going to come from it. He had the gall to tweet out the story with the following phrase. This is a love story. <laughs> it's, it's not a love story. It is nothing that I recognize as love. If you marry someone and you know you have a troubled marriage or you decide after all your years together, you don't want to be with them. I do believe in divorce. I've had one. Although I'm guilted over the fact that I haven't yet had it annulled. I've talked about it on the show many times. I'm working on that. But um, but I don't believe in desecrating the institution of marriage by staying in it and still calling yourself marriage and calling it a love story while you invite another man into your bed in your marital home as right? he walks past the pictures of you and your family on the way to your bedroom. That's not normal. And I'm not going to support it. Yeah. Right. I, I, unless uh, unless you're trouncing on your husband's uh, desires that he feels most comfortable with. And now 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 you are the one who's discriminating against somebody who prefers an open relationship. So, right. It really comes down to what's good, what's right, what's true, what's honoring. Are there any things that are sacred and, and by what definition? And so that's what I think we need to decide as well, he, a society. He says in the piece, what are we going to come um, back to? He says in the piece, first of all, she was an out lesbian when they got married. So this is a word like don't marry a lesbian if you're a man. OK, <laughs> this is so, so there was a there was a, there was a, there was a clue. <laughs> right. Just like you don't have to be a relationship like Dr. Phil <laughs> to know no, that it's a no. Um, then second of all, there's an interesting quote in here where he says, I should have said more to her. Are you happy? What will make you happy? What's missing in your life? And honestly, I wonder what you think about this, Kurt, because my first reaction was, no, that's actually not the job of a spouse. That's the, that's our own jobs for ourselves to ask ourselves to figure out for ourselves what will make us happy, what's missing in our lives and to work on, on filling that with our by ourselves, your relationship to your partner, it, it's not their quote to make you happy. It's their your partners. You go through life together. You you're thinking all day about what you can do that's going to lift up yourself and lift up your family. But it's not about going to the other person and saying what's missing in your life. I will fill it. I will fix it. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, and I've been married for 32 years. And so um, I, I, I found and I've learned through uh, a school of hard knocks and trial and error that, man, if I, if I focus on my spouse making me happy, uh, that's, that's a losing strategy. Because yes. I think, you know who makes you happy? God is the one who fills the deepest desires of your heart. And, and, and that happens when we start with gratitude and we say, wow, I'm breathing. I'm alive on planet Earth. And for some of us, I'm alive on the greatest country in the world during a time where I can make a real difference against the forces of darkness. And if I'm so fortunate to be married, wow, I want to serve you, not, not to make you happy, but because I want to do that in order to, to, to demonstrate to God that I'm grateful for you because you're a treasure in my life. And uh, I've got everything I need when I look to the one who made me. He's my help. And I am asking him to show me how to be a good spouse to you because um, he's been so good to me. That, that's mm -hmm. how I look at marriage. That's, that's what, what I've learned. And, and then, then everything is a blessing, even the struggles, even the difficult things. And, uh, you know, uh, for, for those who have ex gone through a divorce, uh, I think divorce is a, is, is a sweet, welcomed uh, rescue from abusive relationships, dangerous relationships, relationships that uh, have been broken by people's unfaithfulness. And, uh, and I think there's no, there's no judgment there. But I love that you said we want to honor what marriage is, what it can be, because it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, they, they say that they're, they're going to stay together, but they just don't need to possess each other. This is going to fail. I'm on record. This will fail. They will wind up divorced. This is not sustainable. Look to what Kirk and Chelsea have done. That's a much better straight stick. Kirk Cameron, all the best. So nice to have you here. Go get his book and Great. support him in the library cause on August 5th. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.